Welcome to episode 119 on The Herpreneur Show. Today we have the author of People Stuff, Zoe Ralph. Welcome to The Herpreneur Show, where we talk women, business, life. I am your host, Annette Lakovich. I'm an entrepreneur, businesswoman, mum, and I'm a fitness fanatic who loves to dance. What I also love to do is help you reach your fullest potential in business, health, and happiness. Join me as I bring you life-changing interviews, world-class education that helps you continue to up-level your next stage in greatness. It's your time to shine. Let's do it. Definitely starting to feel a cold snap in the air, aren't we ladies in Australia? I tell you what, it's uh, definitely a change of temperature and we can really feel like we're in winter now. And it's quite interesting because I have a team of staff over in the Philippines and we're on Zoom calls and they're in t-shirts and they've got fans on in the background to keep themselves cool and here we are on the other side of the world. freezing our butts off. And it's quite interesting talking about team because that is the topic today. Today we have one of Australia's leading experts in leadership for people stuff. She's an author, a speaker, a mentor, and her name is Zoe Routh. Now, depending on where you are in your entrepreneurial journey, you will notice when you move from a solopreneur into a business owner with a team, one of your biggest goals is how do you create harmony? Because this is is when we are dealing with different types of value systems, different personalities, and you really need to be able to hone that beast and the beast being your communication skills to know not only just how to get the best out of them, but how to be able to help them grow and develop. We talk about today the five different archetypes. So for you to be able to see the different areas that you need to sit in based on the situation at hand to help you really lead your team into that next level of greatness. Plus, we go into the four devils of people stuff, how to actually prevent those four devils from taking over, what they actually are, and a whole lot more. The Herpreneur Show is brought to you by Convert Club. This is mine and my husband's beautiful program to teach you how to convert the lead to the sale. And what I mean by that is if you have a product or a service where it requires you to have a verbal conversation to be able to get that sale across the line, and it's for you to either build value, explain what it is what you do, or to be able to get amount of trust across because your product or service takes a lot of commitment or it's a fairly big investment. And just buying something online, it's just not the way that your business works. If that is you, I'd love to tell you more about it one-on-one. All you need to do is reach out to me. We can find out if it's the right fit and how it works. Now onto the lady of the hour, Zoe Ralph. Zoe is one of Australia's leading experts in leadership. She has been around since 1987, helping individuals and teams internationally. She's the author of four books and we're honing in today on her newest book, which won Book of the Year at the Australian Book Awards in 2020, People Stuff. And just a heads up, I loved speaking to Zoe at the end of the conversation. Normally we wrap up from that last question, we go down another rabbit hole and it's just such a great conversation. An intelligent woman, you're going to enjoy this interview if you're really wanting to grow your team and up-level your leadership skills. Let me introduce you to Zoe Routh. Oh, Annette, thank you so much. It's a great pleasure to be here. And boy, did I have a little chuckle when he said, I'll get everybody to work in harmony. It's <laughs> like, yeah, does that ever happen? Purely, pure <laughs> harmony. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I love that. Now, I would love to start 
with where in this beautiful part of the world you reside. I can hear an accent, but I think from what I've read, you're actually in Australia. <laughs> that's correct. I'm imported from Canada and uh, in 1996. So that's the land of lakes, rivers, and maple syrup. And here I've learned to, you know, the wide brand land, the flooding plains, and dingoes. <laughs> <laughs> and whereabouts? What state did you end up settling down in? I'm in Canberra. Ah, okay, fantastic. And you're sitting there in your office on a fit ball? I'm actually in my podcast bunker, which is this small cubicle, which is about a metre and a half high by a metre and a half wide, which is lined with soundproofing stuff. And the only thing I could fit under here wasn't a chair, it was a Swiss ball. It's bloody uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you walk away with really good posture by the end of the shows. We're going to dive into people stuff today though you're a businesswoman you're an entrepreneur I would love to know the evolution of you Zoe because you're now known as an expert for leadership around people stuff and about communication skills you've launched four books what came first was it working with companies helping them with their team then get into a book and then the speaking or did the speaking come before the book? Uh, I've been doing speaking since I was about 17 and my first real job, which is at summer camp, where you had to get up in front of a group and teach something, say something, lead a song, whatever. And that is a form of speaking. So speaking has been part of my work platform in some way, shape or form for ages, uh, ever since I was 17, which is a few decades ago now. Um, the traditional speaker type speaking, I think is what you're talking about, like get up on a stage at a conference and do blah, blah, blah. That really kicked off informally when I was working at Outward Bound and I had a senior leadership role there and I got invited to speak at conferences, no idea what to do, um, how to do that. And then when I went full time in my business, I'm like, I got invited to speak at a real conference, which is like a uh, a corporate conference, and I was scared out of my wits. So I'm like, I got to learn how to do this speaking stuff properly. So I took a speaking course with Matt Church, and that's where I sort of knuckled down and learned the craft of public speaking uh, in a more focused way. Wow. Well, are you ready to hear something incredible? Because I started my speaking in health and fitness when I was 15, and my teacher was Matt Church. Oh, God. Did you have him in Lycra prancing around on a stage? I had him in bright (laughs) fluoro yellow hot pants that just sat under his, you know what, and I was 15 and he's lecturing in front of us, teaching us about the human body and how to teach classes and I didn't know where to look. I was so embarrassed because I was so young. (laughs) So there you go. Isn't that incredible? And here we are today. (laughs) So let's focus on the book People Stuff because I really want the ladies to walk away with some great usable tools. Now, you have taught leadership skills for many years now. So you've seen many walks of life and you're an entrepreneur yourself. So you've witnessed it yourself. You've gone through different growth phases where we have women. We always start off normally as a a solo entrepreneur. Then as our business starts to grow, we realize that we need people to help us. And for us business to to grow and to scale, we need to take all the hats off and start to know who's going to be the right person for what role. What would you say 
is the biggest mistake that you see that happens when handling people and their issues when you start being in a business? Like, What are some of the problems that we actually have that you could save us from? (laughs) If anyone's listening right now and they're about to bring on team, you see this mistake continually again and again and again. I'd say assumptions is is the is the one we trip over all the time when we're working with people. So we hire someone, we think, oh, they're going to save the day. And we assume a couple of things first up the bat. We assume they understand our brain. They understand exactly what we have in our mind and that they're just going to somehow pick that up and implement exactly the picture that we have. And that is rarely the case. So that's, first of all, they can't read your mind, so you have to be so specific and articulate about your expectations. And the skill of delegation is is critical here. And whether it's uh, especially in entrepreneurship, when you you it's so lean when you start out, and that to hire someone is just like you just want to vomit in your mouth because like oh all that money I have to spend on someone helping me, and it's like they've got to perform and you want them to perform like that. And it takes some time to ramp them up and you have to spend a lot of your precious time, which is so little of to explain things thoroughly, to coach them on your systems, to clarify questions. So when they do something and you're like, Oh crap, that's not at all what I wanted. Instead of going, ah, you know, throwing the towel up and going, they just don't get it. They're not. It's like, okay, I didn't brief this properly. Let's take this as an educational process. I have to, and you have to explain your decisions, why, not just what. So instead of saying, not change this to this, you have to give context so that they learn for themselves how your brain works and how your decision-making process so that they get it. So they don't have to keep coming back to you for approval because that's what will happen. If you keep knocking back people's work and just fixing it without teaching them the why of it, then you're, you've created a rod for your back instead of these people who are supposed to liberate you from stuff. Um, so that's, that's a lesson I keep learning also. It's like, oh, I'm getting sucked into these decisions. What I need to stop, slow down, clarify, educate, and put the boundaries in. Um, so I get, sometimes I get sucked into conversations with my team. I'm like, keep me out of it. I know you want me to be the arbitrator, but we have, we have each of our responsibilities. And I need to also be mindful to keep my fingers out of the pie too. Once it's delegated, explained, and I'm confident they can make the decision. I have to just like cut myself off. I'm like, I've got, I've got to stay out because I, I inter, intervene and make a mess of it. <laughs> so that's probably an extra lesson in there as well. Love that. And do you know what's really interesting? It's we are changing now from such a face-to-face world where we have body language and we can hear the tonality and we can sort of feel the energy of somebody where now everything's been put onto online, not just from Zoom, but, um, you know, with my team, we're on Slack, which is just a, you know, a a type message, like a text message all day. Our communication is changing. So they don't get to hear tonality. They don't get to see the body language. And it actually shows one thing, the importance of how well you start a new team member now, if heaven forbid, wherever we are, if we are in lockdown, we just got into, put into lockdown last night in Perth, but it's, it's, and I think I, you didn't say the word, but I felt it, which was, it's about you taking responsibility 
in how you communicate to get the result. So I loved how you said you would give a task and if it doesn't land right, you said, okay, you need to ask yourself a question. Why didn't it land right? Did I explain this? And you actually went through just a little bit of self-critiquing. So it wasn't about them. It's first looking at yourself. I would like to move to a part in your book Um, On page 55, you start to talk about it, but on page 57, you actually have the diagram of the five archetypes. Can you just gloss over that? Because I think, one, it's probably quite funny when you learn a bit about yourself, you go, oh, I'm definitely that one. (laughs) But just to give the ladies just a bit of a snapshot on the different archetypes and how they actually show up in a leadership role. Sure. I love that chapter. It's all about understanding you. Uh, perspective on self. And the archetypes are a tool to help us uh, embody certain characteristics, certain behaviors, certain narratives that can assist us to lead better. And there's an infinite number of archetypes. You might know them as mother, you might know them as queen, or as sage, or as crone, that kind of thing. So I picked these particular five because when it comes to business, we're either focusing on winning or focusing on building. We're either trying to progress or protect. And different combinations of those purposes create the need for particular archetypes. So the five archetypes with those combos are the diplomat. So when you just need to be even keeled and progress uh, a project or an argument. So that's the diplomat, the qualities of the diplomat you want to embody. Uh, You have the warrior when it's all about protecting and winning. And that particular archetype, I think we can get. We, We know the fierceness of that. We know the absolute focus of that. And sometimes we need to take the warrior energy and apply that to our work. Uh, Sometimes we need to be the guardian. And this is a tricky one to play, which is all about progressing and protecting at the same time. It's kind of like, how do we do that? How do we, how do we build and protect? And that's about being mindful of not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's kind of the mantra of the guardian. It's like, we need to move into the future and take what's best of the current situation in with us. Uh, So that's the guardian that we need to play with. And we have the pioneer, which is like blue sky thinking, let's travel new ground, let's explore, let's be dynamic, etc. And the fifth one, which balances and should be filtered at all times across any of the archetypes that you choose is the elder. This is the leader who can lead with both wisdom and compassion. And the elder shows up with both those things in spades. So you can be both sensitive and sensible. So the elder archetype is the big kahuna, the one one archetype to rule them all. Um, So that's the high level picture of the five archetypes. And I like archetypes instead of styles to help people choose their leadership approach because archetypes, we get the story. When I say elder, you already, bam, you have a picture in your head of what that's like. When I say warrior, bam, you get it. You understand the story, the energy, et cetera. So when you're trying to move into something that's useful from your leadership approach, an archetype will help you just take that persona and express it through all of your being, your words, your movements, your actions. I think what I found riveting was to be able to see the different areas where you can sit in because a lot of the time we could just sit in one. Would that be true? Is there a way where a lot of people, some of the mistakes that they make is they just think, well, this is who I am and this is how I lead and this is how I work. (laughs) And they're always seen in one box. Would that be true in saying that with the archetypes? 
Yeah, you, you can get pretty attached to one type of archetype and just sort of like, oh, this is my comfort zone. And leadership is needs to be flexible and fluid. You need to show up in response to the context in which you find yourself. And as a leader, you need to get really good at reading context and the reading the landscape and therefore choosing which archetype is best served at that point. If you try to do everything through diplomat, you are going to get railroaded in, in a really difficult spot. If you choose, uh, let's say, the guardian, then in, in every situation, then you're going to miss out on opportunities because you have a too much protection of the past and not enough, like, get on with it and try new things. Likewise, if you overdo the pioneer, then you're going to be over risk taking. So each of those archetypes actually has a shadow uh, version as well. So there's an Achilles heel for each one. Now, we have on the show, the show has gone through a few different seasons. We've had the Herpreneur Lifestyle Show, the Herpreneur Wellness Show. Now it's Women Business Life. And I wanted to integrate all of the things that really help us be the happiest human being that we can possibly be. So we have had experts on the show talking about health, from wellness to meditation to dietary. And in your book, and it's on page 117, you talk about cortisol. And most of the listeners hopefully know by now it's like stress hormone. And I love that you actually have it in here. And you lead that into, that is really one of the triggers, I think you were saying, for the four devils. Can we go down that path? Because I think this would be just a great eye-opener for all of us. Sure. So it's that chapter is all about a perspective on others. And it's called the four devils of people stuff. You know, the bad behavior that you have to deal with as a leader. And uh, it's bad behavior because it's uncomfortable, it's difficult, it's emotive, and it's frustrating. And um, what happens with that, and I'll tie it into the biochemicals in just a second, is that there are triggers that put us into a flight or flight or freeze mode, which is related to your cortisol and adrenaline response. So the triggers that happen at work can put us into this stress land. Um, and it's not really helpful because we go into this defensive or offensive modality. The four devils are expressions of that. And there's the firebug, which is angry and argumentative. And typically the trigger for that is loss of power and control, which is a survival trigger. So that fight or flight expression. Um, we've got the storm driver, which is very emotional, very looks similar to the firebug, but more emotional. They'll be ranting and raving. And you can tell they're they, they're arguing with you, but all you can hear is the emotion because of because uh, of the expression of that. Um, the other two devils are uh, underground because when we get triggered, we sometimes don't feel able to verbally express our dissension or challenges or whatever, and it comes out in our behavior. It's still a stress response. There's still plenty of cortisol and adrenaline, which is puts us into an amygdala hijack where we're not being able to communicate well, not being able to learn. And the two underground ones or undercover ones, which are expressed through behavior, are uh, the water bomber, which is very similar to the storm driver intent that it's emotional. But when you ask them how they are, they either respond with fine and that closed button lip, and you know they're not fine, but they won't talk about it. Or they kind of avoid you and they they sort of move through the office or the surrounds, leaving this wake of bleh with them. So that's the water bomber. They just leave this mess behind them. And then we have the ground splitter, who is 
dissenting and frustrated as much as a firebug, but they won't speak up about it personally. So they'll go back channeling, white handling, and they'll be two-faced. They'll say, mm-hmm, I agree with you. And around the back corner, they're like, ah, that's just bullshit and, and rant and rave about it. So they're quite undermanning. All of those behaviors are really quite difficult. And we. this is where often the mistake that leaders make is that they think uh, it's a personality problem. They're just difficult. And chances are, no, they've been triggered by something. So one, the triggers loss of power, a loss of status is a big one, uh, loss, uh, loss of fairness. So if they feel it's not fair or they've been bumped off their perch, that can trigger it. Uh, loss of a sense of place, so that's belonging to a career. They feel isolated and ostracized, that can send them underground. And the other one is just being overwhelmed, like that loss of being able to perform that can have people go turn them into the, the ground splitter, which should they go back white anting, et cetera. Uh, so there's a lot of work to get us to clean up all that mess. And largely it's to do with systems. Uh, how we interact is can often create the friction that generates the threats, which creates the bad behavior, the cortisol, the adrenaline, the amygdala hijack. So yeah, there's a lot to clean up, but it, it's a sense-making tool, the four devils. So I was talking to a leader today about this and she was describing the situation with one of her one of her senior leaders, I'm like, uh-huh, okay, so let's talk about this. Do they have a loss of sense of power and control by the decision you made? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, do they feel like they are not being fully respective? Oh, yeah, probably not. Uh, so that's a loss of status. Do they feel it's unfair? Uh-huh. So we just went through the sense-making tool, the four devils, and worked out these are the triggers that's causing the poor behavior. So if you want to address the poor behavior, you got to look at the triggers and have conversations about those and not the behavior. Uh, you don't start with the behavior. You have to address the behavior, uh, but you need to look at what's causing it primarily. So that's the four devils. Yeah, and mm. that's all cause and effect. Mm. Now, when the start of your book, you shared about leadership and how it has changed over the world, over the over the years, and you said something along the lines of. I'm just going to paraphrase here. You know, we're now starting to not trust presidents, government. We're now starting to have this weird association and uh, and glorifying influences. <laughs> How do you think that leadership is going to change in the future? with what's been going on the last couple of years. Mm. So what you're talking about is the crisis of trust in leadership. And we've had such a poor run of leadership examples, and there's lots of things that have led to all of that. So essentially, in Australia, the uh, Edelman Trust Barometer showcased last year, at the beginning of the year, that there was neither there was trust in Australia in none of the four institutions, major institutions. Uh, so trust being equated to competency and uh, and ethics. So those are the two factors related to trust in, in, their, in their survey. So not-for-profits were seen as ethical but not competent, and businesses were seen as competent but not ethical. And the two that were seen as neither were government and media. So uh, there's a lot of work to do around that. So how do we go? Like, is it really that hard to be competent and ethical? <laughs> Yeah. So your question is, how is leadership going to change given that current context? I think some things will continue to be the same. And there's always an imperative to be ethical. 
And as leaders, we need to be so heart-centered, so values-based. We need to be leading from that, from the core of our being. As soon as we start to fudge our ethics, we've gone down a slippery slope. And what drives it is often fear. Um, another thing that drives it is also often poor systems in our business. How we get, how we reward staff and how we reward ourselves can often drive some of that. So ethics is always going to be a hallmark of important and uh, of important and sound leadership. How leadership is also going to need to change is the ability to see uh, further into the future. Um, so it's got to be more flexible. It's got to be able to see more to see and make sense of complexity. So our ability to take perspective and to expand our perspective is the most important leadership imperative that we can focus on. Uh, so that means picking up as many sense-making tools as you can, whether it's around people dynamics, whether it's around understanding current drivers in the economy and the politics, understanding the subtleties in your business. The ability to see and lead in complexity is the number one leadership skill that we need in the future. Those stats are astounding. <laughs> it's sad, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And, you know, it's really, for me, it's where it is right now with government versus media. I, just, I, don't, even, I don't even watch the news. I, I hear about anything for lockdowns. I just got a text last night. <laughs> Do you know we're in lockdown for the next four days? Because I just don't even trust media at all now. Because it's all, yeah. Yeah. we don't know what hypnosis has been sent through. So um, if I did that, um, if I was actually in part of that survey, I would have definitely helped with that stat. Annette, I want to probably add just one other thing to that um, also, because I think you raise a good, important point. Is like, where do we, how do we trust the news and stuff? One of the other important skills is, um, Stephen Pinker calls it, the, the important aspects of enlightenment in his book, Enlightenment Now. And it's harking back to the Enlightenment age where the rise of science and reason really shifted the world on its axis. And there has never been also a more important uh, leadership strategy or skill, I should say, than learning how to reason, to question, to use scientific approach to understanding the information that you're getting. Uh, so we need to challenge our thinking and challenge the information that we're receiving with rigorous scientific thought. I think that's the other additional piece that we need to put in there. Thank you for adding that because that is exactly what we need to do right now. Uh, we've got women listening going, I want to learn more from Zoe. <laughs> How can they learn more? You have your book. We're going through um, bits of the book today, guys, called People Stuff. Though you've got a podcast, can you share with us if they want to learn more, how can they learn more about you? Sure. So the podcast is the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast. <laughs> so pretty easy to find. Uh, it's on all the major uh, podcasting platforms. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn as well. I post very often there little snippets from videos and articles and that kind of thing. I've got a free report, which is how to spot and deal with difficult behaviors in the workplace. And that's on my website, zoerouth.com. Click on resources and you can get that free report. 
uh, there. And that's probably a good starting point, I think. Yeah. Well, look, we're going to have the links, guys. So if you just scroll down, if you're on um, Apple Podcasts, you can scroll down and you can click the link. Um, otherwise, you can also go to, if you're driving along right now and you're just trying to remember all these links, you know who I am, AnnetteLackridge.com forward slash Zoe. Yep. And that keeps it really simple for if you're on the go, but we'll have everything there that Zoe's mentioned today. Zoe, I would love to finish up with my final questions and two of them are piece of advice. I would love to know your best piece of advice for a female in the startup. It can be either around the leadership things that you've learned and what you've seen, or just a piece of advice from your own, you know, endeavors in, in building your own empire. And then a piece of advice for the woman in the growth phase of her business. She's already in business, but now she's ready to take it to another level. Best piece of advice for both those type of women. So the startup phase, and this is obviously filtered through my own experience, is to really take a look at your money mindset. For me, this was a big deal. I spent 30 years working in not-for-profits, and I had a very different relationship to money than I do now. And I knew that I needed to shift it when I started out as an entrepreneur. Uh, I did a great piece of work with Kendall Summerhawk. I don't know if she's still offering any of that any of that you know Kendall? Yes. Kendall's yes, yeah, from years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm sure she's still around. She's, you know, brilliant woman. She is still around, whether she's offering the money mindset stuff, I don't know. But that was fantastic. So I mean, there's plenty of books and stuff out there as well. So the one exercise you can do for yourself though, if you're a startup entrepreneur, is is to journal about what is your relationship uh with money like. So if money was a person, how would you describe that relationship? How do you treat it? And really start to turn that around. How would you like it to be? Uh, so that's the first one around the startup piece. And alongside of that is it's hard when you're starting up, like wins seem like few and far between. So I suggest starting a success journal where you record two things on a daily basis if possible. One is your um, process wins. So things like, oh, I listened to a podcast, or I wrote a newsletter today, or I made five sales calls, whatever it is. Like Those are your wins for the day in terms of process. And record your outcome wins, which is made a sale, uh, or finished that project, or whatever it is. Um, so you need to record both of those. And that's so important at the startup phase, because you need to feel like you've got a sense of momentum. You need to feel like you're actually progressing and improving. Because when we're starting at the beginning and we have this vision in our mind of the business and it's like a hundred times bigger than what it is now, we can A, feel discouraged, B, feel like a fraud. So we need to be able to look backwards at how far we've come as well as how far we've got to go. And how far we've come is often way further than we ever considered. So having a journal that you can look back on is fantastic. You know, 20 odd, almost 20 years into my entrepreneurial journey, looking back at those early success journals, I am just like, I just put my hand over my heart, go, oh, aren't you cute? Like, so sweet. Like, the, the little wins were just massive for me back then. And I think we need to honor that. We need to honor our wins wherever we are. So, this is a practice I've carried on through my entrepreneurial journey. So, that's for startups. And for those who are more experienced in growth phase or established uh, or established entrepreneurs and is don't do it alone. God, it's lonely, isn't it? Like business can be so tough and all of your employed friends don't get it. 
you know, they're all like, oh, it's school holidays. I have two weeks off. I'm like, two weeks off, two weeks off without thinking about business. That takes a lot of effort to get to that place. And when you have a job, it's so much easier. So hanging out with other entrepreneurs and with the mentors and a cohort that you can, you know, share wins with, share gripes with, and who just get it is so important more than ever when you're in the established space. And then you can also pick up, you know, what did you do in that particular situation? You can learn from each other's experience and you can fast track people, fast track your own learning by learning from other people. So that's my piece of advice for the established entrepreneurs. Beautiful, really sound. Do you know I have boxes, and I mean boxes of diaries that were all about three great things about today, not so much the wins specifically and the way that you did it. I love that you've got that where it's some of it is action-based, some of it's outcome-based. It's very cool. Love that. Though I've never actually gone back to read them, Zoe. I, I write that, I get my three great things about today, and that's always to make sure there's gratitude no matter how bad that day is, there's always things there. Um, but I really love that piece of advice, how you're saying sometimes it's, it's, it's the little steps, it's all those little action steps mm. that create the big win, that create the outcome. And mm. if we're not acknowledging them, and, we, you know, like you're saying, there's sometimes it's far and few between when we get the outcome it's acknowledging those little steps. So I think that's a really cool piece of advice. I'm going to bank that one for myself now. I love to finish the show, Zoe, with this one question. Now, you are a very big adventurous woman. You have done a lot in your life. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to answer this question right now. But if we were to say what's the one thing that you do that's sort of your go-to at the moment to being the happiest version of you, something that is physical, something that gets you away from your computer or away from your work, what's the one thing that you do on a very regular basis that really lifts your vibration so high that you are like the happiest Zoe that you know? Oh, yeah. Uh the, the baby step I can do no matter what's going on is get outside. So being outside, just fresh air, trees, birds, whatever, for five minutes is like the minimum effective dose for me. It's like everything is automatically better when I'm outside. Um, so that's like baby step. And then incrementally, there's bigger pictures of the bigger doses of that. So getting walking and going out and getting a, a view, a horizon, a big picture uh, whether it's going up one of the hills around Canberra and getting like an oversight of something is always amazing. And from a neurological point of view, the biochemistry shows that when we get a sense of awe, which I do when I get a big view, is that it lowers our uh, activity in our frontal lobe. And so that sense of self diminishes and we have the sense of unity with the universe. And that is so incredibly calming. And it's where you can access a bunch of creativity. So I get big views, big insights is the next piece. And then on a regular, it's just physical movement. I love running and I love uh, training in the gym. So those are like my go-tos and meditation because that is just the regular drip feed of calming down, re reconnecting with self. Uh, so those are my practices, if you like. And you've done six marathons. <laughs> oh, I know the last one was so long ago. Like, and I'm looking at the spare tire around my waist and how menopause is a bitch. And I'm thinking, oh, those were the glory days. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Look, um, I, I've never done a marathon. That would be, I, I would not call that fun at all. I could imagine how much it helps you grow in so many other ways and probably for, you know, self-leadership and development though. When you were doing the marathons, there would have been some pretty deep thoughts and just learning just about your whole development, who you are. Was there something that you can really recall on that you think that was like a really big lesson for you about life? Learning how to have a new identity. And so I read a lot of books about marathon training because I didn't know how to train for a marathon. So turned to the experts. And the first book I read on it was called The Non-Marathon, The Non-Runner's Marathon Trainer. And it was brilliant. So I'm like, well, I'm a non-runner. So I'll use this. It's like, it's going to gently, gently take me there. So that book taught me about deciding to be a runner, like choosing that as an identity. And that was the first lesson. Uh, I guess the the other lesson which I picked up, which I didn't really think about, was lean on other people's expertise. The next lesson, though, was just the joy of pushing yourself each each week. Like each week was like, I've never run this distance before. I don't I didn't know I could do it. And discovering um, that, that you can keep pushing your limits, you can keep pushing them and you keep exploring what those are like and what happens to you and how you handle it. And through the marathon training, it's also about mental focus. Like it is a long time out there on the road, like three hour runs, like, holy cow. And you can get pretty bored and you have to focus on overcoming the, your body's need to say, Hey, it's kind of nice to stop. (laughs) And meanwhile, you still have 15 K to go. It's like, okay. Uh, so the little mental tricks of staying focused is kind of, uh, meditation, moving meditation in some way was, was aspects of that. Yeah. So those are kind of the big pieces there. It's quite yeah. interesting. You could even cross pollinate them across to business in the way first lesson totally. is make that decision, make the decision that you're an entrepreneur, make that decision that you're a businesswoman. make that decision to cut off from thinking it's just a hobby and let's just really kick this into, into gear. Um, the other one you said is the, discovery of that next level. I didn't know I could run to this, this amount. And next week you're running to the next amount. I think that even loops back to what you're talking about, the the money concept, like being able to say, Hey, like this is, I'm going to set this new target. We, we've made 20 grand this month. Let's make it 30 grand. What are we going to do to make it 30 grand now? 40 grand. And before you even know it, you've got your $84,000 a year, a month, which now you've got your million dollar business, which not saying that's a goal for everyone though. It's, it's that same thing where you're saying where it's that it's just pushing those limits. And the last one you said about mental focus and going the distance and business is about going the distance, right? Business is about going the distance and having that focus. So I can see how that cross-pollinates even to now with business. I think, can I just pick up on that analogy that you've made there and with the money stuff? And I think you're right. So like when you run for over two hours, your body starts, it does, it feels different. Like there's weird things happening. You have to tap into a different energy system and you have a different level of fatigue, et cetera. So you start to metabolize things differently. And I think the same is true in business. You have to acclimatize is one word for it. I think metabolize is another one. And we have to go up against our own ceilings of expectation when it comes to income. Um, so it pushes our money beliefs also. Like if we all of a sudden start earning more money in a month than we've ever earned in a year, that can challenge our mindsets about worth and value and so on, especially when you're making, you're invoicing 
clients more than your your spouse makes or more than your friends make in a year. That can be like you just can't have conversations with them because they have a totally different money belief and value system set. So, uh, yeah, you have to learn how to sit comfortably with, you know, being a $60,000 a month kind of professional or a hundred thousand or whatever it is. And each time you push a little bit more, you have to adjust again. Um, there's, it's a constant adjustment. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. Just, I, I remember the first time getting a speaking gig, for 60 minutes and it'd be more than what I'd earn in two weeks. <laughs> and, and I remember being embarrassed to even tell my mother, this was in my, I was 27 at the time. And I was really embarrassed to actually tell her because I, I, I was embarrassed I could make that amount of money from a 60 minute presentation. And then that was then the new level. Then I got comfortable with that. And then the next part was, okay, how do you up it again? So, um, gosh, we, we could talk for hours, Zoe. You're a very intelligent lady. You um, really are worth your weight in gold and more. <laughs> well, it's good because there's more of me these days than 20 years ago. well uh ladies if you want to learn more about zoe we've got the links there and just so you know when you say ralph when you're spelling it it's like south but with an r so it's r-o-u-t-h just in case you're googling right now um but obviously if you're on podcast you can click the link um we've got everything there otherwise annettelackage.com forward slash zoe and we'll take you through to all the information you can follow her on instagram linkedin we'll have everything there zoe thank you so much for an incredible interview it's been great to get to know you today and to have your just wisdom grace us oh thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure annette you're listening to The Herpreneur Show. I hope you received the inspirational idea, thought, or message that you're meant to hear today. If you love the show, it means a bunch to me sending me a message on Facebook or on iTunes to rate and review the show and subscribe so you're the first to know when the next show's released. Until then, make sure you do something that fills up your level of happiness, something that lifts your vibration so high that you're the happiest person that you know. I'm out.